Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. High drive, center field, hit the wall, grand slam. This is magnificent. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. Last season, Nick Castellanos hit 16 home runs in 51 games with the Cubs. That's a 47 home run pace over 150 games. We'll get into Castellanos a little later on. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball today on a Tuesday, July 7th. This is our Outfield Preview 2.0 Part 2. Frank Stanfield here with Scotty Dubs, Scott White, and C.P.T. Chris Towers. <laughs> Guys, I didn't get too much into strategy yesterday, but I wanted to start with this. How does your outfield strategy change in a five-outfielder league, which is most roto leagues, versus a three-outfielder league, which is most head-to-head leagues? Scott, we'll start with you. In theory, I am very reluctant to fill my outfield too quickly in a three-outfielder league because there are just there are always so many interesting late-round options, particularly a year like this year where uh, you know, some of the mid to late round options have uh, seemed perfectly capable of performing like high end options. So, you know, it, I, I just I want to keep some availability there for that interesting stretch of the draft, particularly at that position. Five outfielder leagues, you, you know, there's not as much pressure there because obviously two extra spots to fill. But I find just naturally I end up not filling my outfield in that early in that format either. Um there, like you can never run out of sleepers in the outfield. It's just such a, such a big and vast position with players of so many different kinds. Uh, you know, five outfield leagues. You're usually talking about a roto league, so you're talking about meeting different categorical needs. Like outfield, you, there's always going to be somebody who does something different from everybody else at that position. So I, I tend not to fill my outfield early. Chris is here as well. He's wearing a fantastic Marlin jersey. Again, this is why you need to watch us on our Fantasy Baseball Today YouTube channel. I put up a Derek Jeter fathead. You can only see it on the YouTube. You can only see Chris's fantastic Marlin jersey on our YouTube as well. Uh, Chris, we're going to talk about round eight outfielders and on today. And we I feel like we've talked about a few positions that are very deep. Third base and shortstop in particular. But I feel like outfield is also very deep. Would you be okay waiting until round eight or nine? and grabbing Nick Castellanos as your first outfielder? I can't... Well, I guess it's something I've done. I do find myself filling out my infield quite early a lot this year. And so, yeah, I mean, look, there you're going to have the worst first outfielder probably, but there's a lot to like about Nicholas Castellanos this season. You know, I, I think it's a question of, like, if it's Nick Castellanos, I feel okay about it. If it's Eddie Rosario... I don't feel quite as good about it. So it really does depend. Like I can go through and see like Nick Castellanos, Luis Robert, Marcelo Zuna uh, in that range as guys who I think have top 10 upside at the position. I'm okay. I would be okay with that as my first outfielder. If it came to that, like if I was sacked everywhere else, we're going to get to that group a little bit later on when we do our ADP review. Those are the outfielders going in rounds eight and nine, but I wanted to start off with sleepers, breakouts, and bus at the position. So Scott, why don't you get us started with a sleeper in the outfield? How can I not go with Mark Canna, right? <laughs> I mean, he's probably my number one sleeper overall. And, uh, I don't know. I don't know why, what the lack of interest is about. I, I understand he's 31 years old. He was basically just a platoon player before last year. And, um, you know, may, maybe it was all one big fluke. But even so, that he doesn't deserve to go outside the top 200, no matter what doubts you have, just, just based on pure performance, 209th overall. Um, from the time he took over as an everyday player, June 26th on, he hit 
295 with 16 home runs and a 936 OPS. OPS. That's like, you know, that that would be that would be good production for like Chris Bryant, right? A guy who goes 150 picks earlier. Um, and I the reason I compare Canada to Bryant is because like he's really good on base guy. It was actually better than Bryant last year. It was Trout, Bregman. Uh, I probably should have this pulled up, but like in terms of OBP, the rankings last year, overall hitters, I can pull it up real quick. It was Mike Trout, Christian Yelich, Alex Bregman, Anthony Rendon. Uh, eh, he's a little further down than I thought. 396 though was the on-base percentage. That's a good mark. Really good. Really good. And it, and it was higher during the stretch. He was a starter. Like with, with more playing time, he actually got better. He didn't get worse the way you might suspect for a guy who long been pegged as a platoon player. And he made some adjustments that, that, you know, support the support, the idea that he genuinely improved here started laying off outside pitches, uh, really just focused on hitting pitches in his wheelhouse, which improved his power production and his walk rate. And like, I, I think it's, I think it's at least mostly legit. And like, if it's mostly legit, then he's Michael Conforto. If it's totally legit, then he's Chris Bryant. Either way, you're getting Mark Canna at a steep discount. Chris, sleeper in the outfield. What do you got? Malik Smith, who I think is being uh, a little unfairly maligned in drafts this year. He's someone I find myself constantly targeting in Roto uh, in that like pick 140 and beyond range. And I'll even, you know, reach for him at 130-ish if it, if it comes to that and I need the stolen bases. I think there are a few things going on with Max Smith. One, the strikeout rate, 25% for a guy who doesn't hit for power. That's really bad. Uh, and he had a 219 expected batting average per baseball savant. That's also really, really bad. So I think that is feeling a lot of the, the approach to him and, and basically having people say, well, you know, it wasn't just bad luck. You know, this is a, a 333 career BABIP guy, but his 302 last year was earned. I think that's sort of oversimplifying uh, the way this actually works. Like he has a 237 career XBA and a 259 career batting average. He, Malik Smith is the kind of player you should expect to outperform uh, his expected batting average due to his ability to beat out uh, infield hits and, and stuff like that. And so uh, I think he probably should have hit more like 250, uh, maybe 240. That's not good, but that gets you a lot closer to being uh, not a minus. And obviously, you know, we saw him hit, what was it, 295, 296 in 2018. I don't think he'll do that again. But if he can hit 270, like, let's not forget, we talk about uh, Adalberto Mondesi as the odds-on favor to lead the league in steals. And he, you know, stole 43 bases in 102 games. Malik Smith stole 46 in 134. He was sent down to the minors last season. It's not like he played a full season either. Obviously, it was more games than Mondesi, and Mondesi should steal more bases. But, you know, there's a chance Mondesi's a worse hitter than Malik Smith, which is, I mean, frankly, that's pretty damning for Alberto Mondesi. Uh, I think Malik Smith is a safe source of speed. Uh, and I think at the very least, he's going to hit like 260, 270 and not hurt you there. Um, so he's someone I'm absolutely fine grabbing. He's going, you know, anywhere from 50 to 75 uh, spots later than he was the year before. Yeah. And I can get behind that only in a Roto league, by the way. But, yeah. and I think if you're going to draft Malik Smith, you have to plan for it before your draft because if you just throw him into your mix of Roto players, I mean, you have to have enough power and enough RBI to cover yourself because he is going to give you nothing in those categories. But you're yeah. right, Chris. I think the batting average bounces back. He hit 227 last year. Entering 2019, he was a 277 hitter. So I think that 227 uh, was a little bit fluky. He tried to raise his launch angle a little bit, which is just something Malik Smith should not be doing at all. Sleeper for me... <laughs> Trent Grisham, last year between AA and AAA, he had 300 with 26 home runs, 12 steals, and an OPS over 1,000. He was traded to the San Diego Padres in the offseason, and I think that he can actually flourish regardless of format. I don't think he's going to be a great batting average contributor. He's probably going to hit 250 to 260, but even in a points league, 
He had a 15.8% walk rate throughout his minor league career. So really, really good plate discipline for Gresham. And I think he could do a little bit of everything across the board. So regardless of format, I think he's someone that can contribute. And he is going... His ADP is 305. So you can get him very, very late in your drafts. Scott, breakout in the outfield. I mean, obviously, I could go a bunch of different ways here. It's a vast position. There, there's no shortage of upside plays. I'm going to be the one who claims Nick Castellanos here. Ooh. <laughs> well, you took Chris's pick. pick. He, got to go, he got to go first the first time. It's uh, unfair that you're letting Scott go first both times. But I'll allow it. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> we all love Nick Castellanos, right? Um, I get, it, it seems like Comerica Park was probably the worst possible environment for a player with his swing. He drives the ball to right center a lot. And based on some research uh, sent to me from Crosby Spencer on Twitter, self-described stat cast geek, what he found was that in the compared to that, if a hundred home runs go out to center field in the average MLB park, only 29 would have at Comerica Park last year, 29 versus 100. And 71 versus 100 in right center. Like, 71's horrible on its own. Like, that, that, is, that, is, that is bad for Comerica Park, uh, for right, a guy who hits the ball to right center in Comerica Park, 71. 29 is just ridiculously bad. And then it, it really helps explain, though, why Castellanos took off the way he did after joining the Cubs, 321 with 16 home runs at 10, uh, 1,002 OPS. Um, you know, that was a more neutral environment. Well, now he's going to clearly a hitter-friendly environment in Great America Ballpark. And if you just do a park overlay of his home runs at last year, uh, you know, Comerica Park versus versus uh, Cincinnati, like there's a couple more, a couple dozen more home runs he would have hit in Cincinnati. Now it's it's obviously not a perfect exercise because you know he didn't play every single game at Comerica Park last year. But the point is, like, this environment could be as dramatic for him as the, the change from Miami to Milwaukee was for Christian Yelich. Um, you know, you dig deeper into those numbers Castellanos put up for the Cubs. Like, it, it, it looks fairly legitimate. It's not like he just sizzled for two months there to end the season. Like, that, that might be closer to legit Castellanos than what we saw for the first four months. And uh, I think... You know, you add it all up, and the kind of upside you're talking for Nick Castellanos, it might be similar to, to like Nolan Arenado or or JD Martinez, like second round type production from a hitter you can get in round eight or nine. And JD Martinez is the comp I've gone with. Um, yeah, just that, that that's that a combination. Breakout. Yeah, that combination of power, average, uh, and run production potential. You know, he, he shares a lot of similarities with J.D. Martinez there. He doesn't make as much contact, I guess. Or Actually, no, he strikes out a, about the same as J.D. Martinez. I think it's about the same, yeah. yeah. I mean, double-check that. Yeah, he's been 22% or lower each of the past three seasons. Nick Castellanos, that is. Not Chris, bad. breakout. Sorry, you didn't get Castellanos, man. It's okay. I'll go with another guy who, like Nicholas Castellanos, is a stat cast darling, Marcelo Zuna. I think he can be one of the best values at the outfield position. Uh he is kind of the opposite of Malik Smith, where he has pretty consistently underperformed his expected stats, which is weird because he's a right-handed hitter who runs fairly well. So I'm not exactly sure what's going on there, but he's done it four of his five seasons of the StatCast era. So, you know, there's something there. So, you know, you look at the 382 expected Woba, which is in the 92nd percentile of the league, maybe you can't project that. But his XBA was 288. The year before was 291. His ex-slug last year was 548. Uh, he's elite in terms of quality of contact, hard hit rate, exit velocity, barrel rate. However you want to describe that term, Marcelo Zuna is one of the 20 or so best in baseball at it. That's going to turn into results at some point. It didn't last year. Uh, it kind of did in 2018, um, although that was obviously a disappointment compared to his 2017. But you look at 2017, he was a top 12 outfielder. Uh, 2018, you know, only 23 home runs, but he hit 280. Last year, 29 home runs, 89 RBI, 12 stolen bases, actually, which was kind of surprising. 
uh, but the 241 batting average kind of overshadows it. This is a guy who could legitimately hit 290 with a 35 homer pace playing in a, in the heart of a great Atlanta Braves lineup. Marcelo Zuna, you know, he's already broken out, but it could be, you know, a, a return to something like that 2017 production. Last year, he hit 241 with a 472 slug. His expected batting average was 288. His expected slugging percentage was 548. Just to put that in perspective, I looked at players who basically put up those numbers last year. You're talking about Freddie Freeman and Juan Soto. So, mm-hmm. look, sometimes players underperform their expected numbers. Maybe they overperform a little bit. But based on the quality of contact he, he makes, StatCast is saying he should have been closer to a Freddie Freeman or a Juan Soto type player. Again, that is Marcel Ozuna. The breakout for me, and Scott, I believe you have him as a breakout as well, Willie Calhoun. We just all have Ah. these players that we just can't quit. Willie Calhoun is just that guy for me. I've drafted him every year. I've picked him up every year. Anything to do with him. 2020 is the year of Willie Calhoun, and every year that he plays baseball till the end of time is the year of Willie Calhoun. Might have oversold it just a little bit. But last year, 21 home runs, 48 RBI in just 83 games. That is a 40 home run pace, 93 RBI over the course of a full season. And I am just holding on to that AAA, those AAA numbers he put up back in 2017 when he hit 31 home runs, 300 batting average, 927 OPS. I think he can be useful for both formats. He doesn't strike out. He puts the ball in the air going to be interesting to see how uh, Globe Life Field um, works out for hitters because Joey Gallo has mm. talked it up as a little bit more uh, that it plays big, that it's a little bit more of a pitcher's park. Uh, but regardless, I think the uh, the profile is one that I personally like a lot in Willie Calhoun, lots of fly balls and limited strikeouts. Yeah. He he looks like a he looks like a Mike Moustakis. I love that to comp too that where? you've you've made. I think that's I think that's a very good comp. Yeah. So, I mean, it's great that he doesn't strike out much. He hits so many fly balls that he's probably not going to be helpful in batting average. But, you know, there's going to be a lot of home runs there. So I don't see, like, a stud outcome for Willie Calhoun because we don't think of Mike Bustakis as a stud. But obviously outperforming his draft position, I think that's that's very likely. So Calhoun is going 173.8 in ADP, and Mike Bustakis is, like, a top 100 pick. He's going right around 100. So you could pick up about 70 to 80 spots of value there with Willie Calhoun. Scott, a bust in the outfield. Round us out here. I'm going to go for my bust. I'm going to go with, uh, is it, I don't know. Is it fair to go with Tommy Pham? He's, he tested positive for COVID-19. So maybe that's not fair. Um, I have, a, I have concerns for him beyond that. Uh, I, I He's guess playing I'm with a slightly with, torn UCL too, right? Yeah, playing with a yeah. slightly torn UCL, and I just don't like the way the batted ball. I, I guess I'm gonna go with it. I guess I'm. I guess I'm in now. I'm. I'm waist deep now. So, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I don't like the way the batted ball profile has been going for Tommy Pham. He's his fly ball rate was never great, but it's been dropping the past few years. And to the point last year, it was Eric Hosmer like, which you know makes it kind of surprising he even hit the 21 home runs he did. Um, he's not a young guy. He's in his thirties now, 32, uh, steals, you know, we're really drafting him depending on him being a 20 steals guy, but that, like, I, I don't think that's something we can just bank on either. So I, I worry he'll perform it more like a 15, 15 pace than maybe the 25, 25 pace he's being drafted for and just not end up being that impactful of a player because the bat of ball profile isn't great. Chris, a bust in the outfield. Who do you got? Yeah, we talked about him a little bit yesterday. I'll go with Jorge Soler, and it's not one that I feel. Outfield is one of those positions where it's a little hard to come up with a bust. Everyone seems relatively fairly priced to me, but you know, Jorge Soler going 83rd overall or right about there, uh, 83.6 is his ADP. He's had one season where he was a useful fantasy option, and all of a sudden he's a top 90 pick. That's just that's buying too much into the one good season. Yes, it was a very good season. It was 48 home runs and a ton of RBI. He also stayed healthy for the first time in his professional career. Uh, he's 28 years old, so this was not exactly a, an expected development for him. And so, you know, when I look at some of the way that some of those one-year wonders are being uh, handled, you know, Mitch Garver, 111th, uh, Miguel Sano, 120th, um, you know, Marcus Simeon right in the same spot as Jorge Soler. 
you know, those guys, you know, Simeon at least has a track record of being able to play in Major League Baseball. Jorge Soler, before 2019, really didn't have that, whether it was because of performance or injuries. And so that's just a rich price to pay for a single season where he was even able to stay healthy enough to make an impact, let alone hit that way. Yeah, and we spoke a lot about Jorge Soler versus Giancarlo Stanton at the end of yesterday's episode, so you can go back to and listen to that. But I am wary of the Yankees outfielders, so I'm going to lump those guys all in together, Judge, Stanton, uh, especially in a shortened season if they miss any time. The Yankees have a lot of depth. I think they can be careful with those guys. And, Chris, I was watching the Yankees intra-squad game yesterday. Giancarlo Stanton struck out in his first at-bat. The guy's a bum. The guy's just a bum. <laughs> That's the, that's the deciding factor. That's you know, right. I, I, just, All the Clark Schmidt, baby. There are some play. Yeah, Clark Schmidt. You know, he he, looks he did look good. Pretty <laughs> promising. Uh, doesn't have a lot of experience above Double A, but you know, number two Yankees prospect. Um, there are certain times when the watch the game, uh, stop watching your spreadsheets. People are right. Uh, and there are certain times, and it, Iron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton, and generally high strikeout players in general, uh, are guys who you are better off just not watching them play baseball. You will have a more accurate view of the value they bring, at least to your fantasy team, if you never watch them play, because there is nothing more frustrating than watching Aaron Judge take a low fastball for strike three or watching Aaron Judge swing at a slider two feet out of the zone. Yeah. I can, I can agree with that. Let's get into our ADP review here, rounds eight and nine. We already spoke a lot about Nick Castellanos, but he is going in this range. Pick 88 off the board. Eddie Rosario, 91. Luis Robert, 93. Marcelo Zuna, 99. And Ramon Laureano, 105. Let's start with hmm, Eddie Rosario. Why, Chris, why did you say that you wouldn't want him as your first outfielder? Why does he... Why would you not want him over someone like Castellanos and Ozuna? They're all going in a similar range. I, I don't think the upside's there for Rosario. Uh, I mean, he was an 800 OPS bat last season, and obviously OPS isn't directly a category in uh, fantasy scoring, but that kind of shows you the, the kind of mediocrity he is. And it's a little unfair because the profile does pr- work for fantasy because it is a contact-oriented profile. And he did see a power boost last season. And so those things should lead to more RBI uh, than the overall production might indicate. But it just seems like last year was closer to his ceiling than uh, what we've seen from Nick Castellanos. I could see Nick Castellanos being a, a 295, 35 homer guy. And I'm not sure I can see Eddie Rosario being that. Scott. Luis Robert is one of the top prospects in baseball. He's being drafted inside the top 100 picks. Paint for me a picture of the upside versus the downside for Luis Robert this season. Uh, The upside versus the downside. I mean, the upside is a top five player. The upside is probably... um, You think it's that high, like a Ronald Acuna-esque player? I, I I think it might be. I think it might be. You don't see people who walk as infrequently as Luis Robert does generally that high in the rankings, but it's it's hard to dis, it's hard to know exactly, you know, kind of a chicken and egg thing. Like, does the guy walk a lot because pitchers are scared of him and they pitch around him, or is it just that he's uh, that impatient? And we don't we don't have enough evidence to say for sure with Luis Robert. So I, I do think the upside is like a five category threat. Um, and for is what it's worth. You know, Acuna's big breakout in 2017, the walk rate wasn't that far off from what Robert had last season. So Really? Yeah, Luis yeah, Robert I mean, last year, 5% walk rate, 23% strikeout rate across three different levels. Yeah, and, well, and Acuna what was, Acuna's was walk rate? at... Sorry. 7%. So definitely, okay. you know, better. Yeah. Uh, and it took a, another great. step forward the following year and got closer to the 10% rate. But yeah, right. the thing with Luis Robert, though, you bring up the uh, are pitchers afraid of him? You know, it's not like, well, I guess he walked a little more. Eh, not really, no. He's never really <laughs> walked in, as a professional, but the sample size is so small. Right. We have a season of one, basically, where Luis Robert performed 
up to his his uh, you know up to what the scouting reports thought he could be. And it, it was, I mean, it was an awesome season. He was like basically the story of the minor league season last year. Uh, so, you know, that's the upside. The downside, I, I feel like he's probably going to come a little closer to the downside as the rookie. That's my hunch for him because the plate discipline is bad because, you know, so much of what is, what is fueling the, the enthusiasm is, is the steals and then being such a scarce commodity and, you know, middle of the order bats, we can never be sure how much they're going to run when they get the chance. And especially for the white Sox, who even, you know, even some of their table setter types who've gotten called up after stealing a lot of bases in the minors, they didn't let run that much. So if, uh, if Luis Robert isn't a standout in stolen bases, then he's kind of, I don't know, kind of a, a generic brand version of Aloy Jimenez basically. And uh, you know, except unproven. So yeah, I, I think I think a middle round pick is all I'm willing to go with Luis Robert, even recognizing that the upside is very high. I am surprised his ADP hasn't risen more. I will say that. Like it's stayed in like the 90 to 100 range pretty much throughout draft season. And I thought there was going to be just an, an absurd amount of helium on Luis Robert. I thought he would end up getting going into like the 70 range. And so, you know, 93.4, like that's it's not ideal. You know, there is more risk than you would usually like at that range, but I think he's probably worth that. You know, I think I'd rather have him at that price than Eloy at, you know, the 60 overall range. Especially in Roto. But would you take him in a points yeah. league, Chris? No, no. He's a lot less interesting in a points league. I mean, look, ultimately when it comes down to this Roto points question, like he doesn't have a profile that's ideal for points, but if he hits 300, it doesn't matter. Like if he hits 300 and he's, yeah. and he's a 30 homer guy, then that's how I feel about Eloy. If he's, yeah. That's how I, like um, Eloy doesn't walk very much, but if he has the breakout season, I think he can have, then it's not going to matter. Same thing with like Fran Mil Reyes, for example, who we'll get yeah. into. He doesn't walk a lot, but if he breaks out, he's still going to be useful in a points league. But the stolen bases are, I think a real concern. Um, he was around like a 50 steal per 150 games pace uh, in the minors. He has 63, sorry, 50 stolen base attempt range uh, at right around a 75, 77% success rate. So decent, but not great. Yon Mankata was like a 65 stolen base attempt guy uh, per 150 games in the minors at like, I think it was like 83 or 84% success rate. And we've seen Yon Mankata come up to the majors and, you know, I think his career high is 15 stolen bases. And part of that is he's dealt with hamstring injuries and he's talked about how that's limited his willingness to run, but, you know, the other thing that doesn't really get brought up enough with Luis Robert, he, the reason he hadn't broke out before last season was he couldn't stay on the field uh, in his first two years as a professional. He dealt with a lot of injuries. Um, I can't remember if he got hurt last season as well. But, yeah, that's, there's, it's definitely a risky profile. He played 122 just, I, games total in the minors, so that seems close yeah. to a full minor league schedule. Yeah, that, that seems pretty close. It might have been, you know, maybe one stretch where he missed time. The last thing I'll add regarding Ramon Laureano, who goes in this range, uh, pick 105, is why would you draft Tommy Pham? And the ADP is going to change with Pham because he has tested positive for COVID. Uh, but originally, Pham was being drafted 79th, and you can get Ramon Laureano 25 picks later, 26 picks. And I think that they are similar players who can give you similar type skill sets uh, last year, 24 home runs and 13 steals for Loriano in just 123 games. Uh, and his second half, he really, really started to break out only 31 games, but he had 358 with a 1090 OPS. Again, that is Ramon Loriano. He's someone that I like. Uh, I think he could be useful in both formats too. He actually had a pretty good OBP in the minors uh, rounds 10 to 11. Andrew Benintendi going off the board, pick 109, Michael Conforto, 111. Michael Brantley, 122, Max Kepler, 123, and Oscar Mercado at 132. I think this is a really, really strong range of outfielders. The, the last one, too, I mean, really rounds 8 through 11, and a lot of the outfielders we're going to talk about, again, like, if you just lived in this mid-range, I think that you could actually be okay at the outfield mm -hmm. position just drafting from this range of outfielders. Scott, specifically for me, Michael Brantley... I don't know if it's an ageist thing, and this is could potentially be another one of my faults as a fantasy baseball player, but people make fun of me. 
I draft a bunch of old players because you get them at a discount. Nelson Cruz, Michael Brantley. Brantley last year was outfield 16, outfielder 16 in fantasy points per game. He was the 21st mm. best outfielder in Roto. He's the 32nd outfielder off the board in ADP. Scott, I, I just, I don't get it. What's Is it just the yeah. age for Michael Brantley? I think it's, I, I think it's, I think it's largely that. Yeah. The age and yeah, he has an extensive injury history. He lost much of his prime to injuries and, you know, we weren't sure he'd ever rebound and become a fantasy asset like he has. Um, so, you know, there's that. I, I think the fact that he doesn't really stand out in either home runs or stolen bases and you're looking, you're usually looking to feed at least one of those constantly. It's a lot of batting average. Points league, like you said, I mean, he really stands out there. Guy hardly hardly strikes out 66 times in a full season last year. And I think he's I think he's valued more appropriately in that format. I don't think people sleep on him as much there. In Roto League, though, in Roto Leagues, though, you know, he stands... He, he, he seems like more of a batting average specialist who won't kill you in home runs. And, and people just aren't enthusiastic about drafting that kind of, kind of the same as Eddie Rosario, frankly. I mean, their profiles aren't exactly the same, but for a five by five context, it's pretty close. I, I guess one question I would have would be, um, is there that much of a difference between Michael Brantley and Jeff McNeil? Who's going what? 40 spots ahead of him. Well, one second base. Yeah. I mean, that's, that, sure that's but, not nothing <laughs> i mean if, right, if, if mcneil was fair. outfield only maybe maybe not that's fair but you still do need five outfielders yeah. you know and and mcneil's not necessarily like i i just i i don't know i i think is second base eligibility really worth 40 spots especially when you're talking about a guy who's much more proven like michael brantley has basically never not been a good hitter at the major league level going back to 2014. Basically his first couple of seasons, he was a bad average. And then once he broke out in 2014, anytime he's been healthy, he's been at least an 800s OPS bat and usually in the mid to high 800s. Mm-hmm. I say draft both of them. <laughs> Help your batting average sure. in a roto league. But uh, specifically, yeah, I think it's the second base eligibility to me. And I've said this, I think McNeil is a DJ LeMahieu light and he should lead off for a pretty good or hit near the top of a pretty good Mets lineup. But yeah, I mean, 40 spots in ADP, that's probably a little bit too much. I think that's more so, you know, people pushing Brantley down the board because of his age. Um, And I could see Brantley running more with Dusty Baker. Maybe. They want to keep him on the field and keep him healthy. Are they going to let him run it more? I could see him getting back to being a 15 stolen base pace guy, whereas last year he stole three. I mean, if he's a 15 steel space guy, he's Ozzy Albies. You, know, you talk about, you know, the gap between Brantley and, and McNeil is, is second base eligibility worth 40 spots. Well, is it worth, gosh, I don't even know how many Ozzy Albies would be. A lot more than that, the gap yeah, there. Actually, in, in fact, in points leagues, points per game, Brantley was better than Ozzy Albies last year. It all comes uh, back yeah. to Brantley yeah. being a value. That's ultimately yep. what it is. Uh, Chris, Conforto and Max Kepler in this range, I think are also very useful players, specifically in points leagues. Uh, Kepler, you know, in Roto, going to hurt your batting average. He'll give you home runs and run score, which is fine. But he averaged 3.5 fantasy points per game last year, Max Kepler. And that was the same amount as Bryce Harper and Austin Meadows. And he's leading off for one of the best lineups in baseball. And Conforto averaged 3.2 fantasy points per game, has a great OBP, great eye at the plate. So uh, specifically in points leagues, I think this is a very, very strong range where if you wait, you get one of these guys as maybe your outfield one or outfield two. I don't think that you're, I don't, I don't think you're in bad shape grabbing one of these guys. Yeah, I don't, I don't think you're ever in bad shape if you end up with one of these guys, Conforto and, and Kepler. It's still not necessarily a pair of players who I really make a point to target. It's more like, well, they're falling far enough. Um, I will say, I think in both cases, there's more batting average upside than we've seen the last couple of seasons. Um, you know, Kepler in particular, like it wouldn't surprise me if he hit 270 or 275 this year. Uh, I mean, really, this year it wouldn't surprise me if he hit 300, but in a, in a real season, it wouldn't surprise me if he hit 270. Um, you know, is anything possible in a 60-game season? Yeah, that's, that strikeout rate is really low, and he's actually okay enough at lefties. You know, that was kind of the thing that uh, hinted at his breakout in 2019, is if you looked at what he did in 2018, 
he made significant improvements in his approach against left-handed pitching. And it was actually against righties that he was really bad in 27 in 2018. Um, you know, he hits too many pop-ups. He hits too many fly balls to ever really be a batting average help. But I think I like Kepler a little more than Conforto here. Yeah. Specifically in a points league. Uh, I won't disagree with that. Scott, in a minute or less, Andrew Benintendi is someone that was being drafted <laughs> round three or round four. I remember, actually, when I was a mere listener of the podcast, Heath Cummings was a he huge a top fan. five outfielder. Yeah, he had, and I just couldn't wrap my head around it at all for, for Benintendi. Struggles against lefties last year, the, the strikeout rate went up, um, and we're talking about a, a juice ball season where he hit 13 home runs. So, Scott, is... Andrew Benintendi, I don't want to say done, but <laughs> the way he's trending. Uh, yeah, he's, he's taken a bad turn for the worse here. Um, he's 25, so y- you can't say he's done. He's 25, very high draft pick, was formerly the number one prospect in all of baseball. So you, you can't say he's done, but you can't have a lot of confidence in him at this point either. I think I think his ADP reflects more confidence than I have. I actually... We were talking about bus. I almost, I almost decided to talk about Ben Intenti. Uh, it, it, you mentioned the 13 home runs last year. It actually gets worse. Go back, you know, you lump last year in with the second half of 2018. In his last 770 at bats, Ben Intenti has 15 homers and 14 steals. So, I mean, the profile is beginning to look like like a you know, present-day Nick Marcakis, except he runs a little bit more. But it's not like he's a standout in stolen bases. He's not really a standout in anything. He's just kind of not terrible at everything. And, like, you need you need better than that at this stage of the draft. Like, it may go great. I mean, compare Ben Attendi where he was being drafted last year to this year, and, you know, maybe it works out. But I, I just see the other outfielders going in the same range, the other hitters at every position, and I'm like, why Why am I going to roll the dice on Benintendi? I just don't see it. I mean, what's the point of drafting Andrew Benintendi when Adam Eaton is available literally 100 picks? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I, you compare what they did last season, Adam Eaton was a lot better. Yeah, he was. I drafted Benintendi, and I've never drafted him before. We did a mock draft last week, a head-to-head points mock, where I got him 161st. Mind you, his ADP is 109, so... At that point, I said, all right, give me that much value on him. I'll take him. But someone asked me in the chat, they said, why don't you just wait a couple more rounds and take Alex Verdugo? And I didn't really have a good, a good reason why not to. So Yeah, I mean, I, I think Benintendi is sort of a cautionary tale for Alex Verdugo. Uh, it is a really hard place. Fenway Park is a really hard place for left-handed hitters. And it seems like Andrew Benintendi has kind of tried to hit for more power and it's kind of gotten him away from what he does well. Um, you know, he was, he's become more pull heavy over the last couple of seasons. He's become more fly ball or air ball heavy over the last couple of seasons. And it really hasn't worked for him, but he's also a guy who I could see being a couple tweaks away from being, you know, a, a 285, 290, 20 Homer guy. Uh, well, we've seen that out of him bases, before. Yeah. The stolen bases are, man, he was, his sprint average sprint speed has dropped precipitously. He was 75th in 2016, 128th in 2017, 292 in 2019. That's uh, that's rough. I think he's in his own head, man. I think something's going on there with Ben Intendi. So, yeah. um, all right, Scott. Ben Intendi, Conforto, Brantley, Kepler, Mercado. Just give me a name. Who do you draft first of this group in a roto league? Can you go through the list again? Ben Intendi, Conforto, Brantley. Kepler, Mercado. I think it's probably Brantley for me. Kepler's mm-hmm. close. Those two stand out above the others. Um, you know, in points leagues, they definitely stand out above the others, but even in Roto. Chris, in a points uh, league, who do you take from this group? It's still Brantley. I, I do. We haven't mentioned Oscar Mercado, really. There's probably more stolen base potential than he showed last season. Like, he had 29 stolen bases between the majors and minors in uh, 145 games. He only stole 15 in 115, but you know, if he, there's 30 steel, there's certainly 30 steel skills there. Uh, if they let him be that guy, I think he takes a, a leap out of this tier. 
Quickly promote some things here. Make sure to join our Fantasy Baseball Today Facebook group. Just go on Facebook, search for Fantasy Baseball Today. You should be able to find us and join the group. You can ask your questions. Scott does a Q&A every single week where he answers your questions. We're all hopping in there, answering questions and communicating with you guys. And there's a lot of people setting up their own leagues in there too. So uh, it's a good way to interact with other listeners of the show. And this Friday, we will be doing another mailbag show. So drop your questions with a five-star Apple podcast review or email us fantasybaseball at cbsi.com, and we will try to answer as many of those as we possibly can this Friday. Take a quick break. When we come back, we will go back to ADP, rounds 12 through 13 and beyond. We'll do that here on Fantasy Baseball Today. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on Homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com. We've done your homework. We're back here on Fantasy Baseball Today, rounds 12 to 13 in ADP. This is our Outfield Position Preview 2.0 Part 2. Fran Mill Reyes going off the board at pick 136. David Dahl. 138, Kyle Schwarber, 142, Lourdes Gurriel, 149. I feel like I've said this all day, but again, this is another group of ADP where I really like this range. And Scott, I mean, who are you most likely to draft from this group? Reyes, Dahl, Schwarber, Gurriel? Is it all of them? Is it none of them? I like all these guys. <laughs> I, I, like, I like Reyes the most, and he goes the highest. I think he most emphatically meets a categorical need and that category is is home runs. Uh I I think Dahl I like most is having, you know, I like having the most all-around upside. You know, he didn't I don't think he showed us his best last year. Uh the the launch angle wasn't great, the strikeout rate wasn't great. Uh but he plays in Colorado, which gives him a big advantage in every area. And he's talked about running more this year. And he was still pretty uh, good, Scott. I mean, yeah, and he, and he th- was still pretty good. I'm yeah. Benefited by Colorado, but it's right. not like that's going away. So I think, you know, maybe he could get even better. And it's, he's not bad just as he is. We so, have not mentioned a key piece of news for David Dahl, though. Okay. It sounds like he might bat leadoff for the Rockies. And, yeah. That'd be know, big. He, talk, he talked about wanting to run more this season. Uh, he actually. I think responded to one of our listeners asking if he would run more and, and said he, he might try to steal 25 bases this year. That'd be a lot in 60 games, but you know, <laughs> if he stole 10, uh, we would definitely take that. And oh, yeah. he's got the skills for it. You know, he's 76 percentile in sprint speed. He's, he's not slow. Um, yeah. yeah no, I, really I, I feel like the player he, he used to be compared to when he was first coming up was Jacoby Ellsbury, who was of course no, most known for his, base stealing yeah. ability. Yeah, I mean, what if he just became someone who's also on the team now, Charlie Blackman, right? Like, I don't think that would of course, surprise I mean, anybody. Too. And it would be, be great. You want to talk be the about... the best case scenario, probably. Yeah, he would need to take a step forward, especially with the contact. Um, yeah. But that's really the only place he's really falling short. 
Yeah, look, we spoke yesterday about Blackman and reminded people, I think he was either second or third in runs scored over the past four seasons. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the type of runs upside we're talking about with David Dahl potentially leading off for this lineup. So again, he just has to stay healthy. That's ultimately what it comes down to for yeah. Dahl is staying healthy. 60 games, shortened season. I mean, if there's ever a time for him to do it, I think now should be the time for David Dahl. Uh, right. Fran Mill Reyes, you brought, you brought up the name, Scott. Um, I, I think maybe we go down too much of like a slippery slope with this. Like, oh, well, why draft this guy 70 picks earlier when you can get Fran Mill Reyes? But I think but. that's the argument against someone like Judge or Stanton or even Eloy Jimenez. Like, why can't, based on the stat cast numbers, Fran Mill Reyes become one of those guys where he hits a 40 to 45 home run pace you know, his stack has numbers back up that he hits the ball as hard as anybody in baseball, and he was showing it in spring. I remember he was climbing up draft boards because it was like every day in the spring, Fran Mo Reyes was hitting a bomb. Yeah, if you don't have a masher like that yet, by the time, you, like, you need to grab Fran Mo Reyes because he's basically the last one. The last one who, based on what he's already shown us, you can reasonably expect him to hit 40 homers or be on that kind of pace um, for this year. I, there may be others after him who could, you know, break through with that kind of power. Austin Riley comes to mind, but you know, you're, that's, that's a much less, a lower probability scenario than Fran Mill Reyes, who, you know, he basically hit 40 home runs last year, right? He was just a few short and like, he doesn't get, uh, you know, people don't really seem to hold him in that, esteem and like his playing time was inconsistent especially with the Padres yeah he had 37 I mean that's like the quietest 37 homer season ever Fran Mel Reyes had the thing with Fran Mel Reyes is the skills are undeniable the application of those skills is the question he is incredibly inconsistent when you look at like he had a 9.5 degree average launch angle but if you break it down by month it was like one month it was zero. It was actually like alternating every month was basically like zero, 17, zero, 17. Uh, and similar, if you look at exit velocity by month, 95 miles per hour in April, 90 miles per hour in May, 95 in June, 89 miles per hour in, in July. And so the key for Fran Mel Reyes is going to be finding that consistency and becoming a guy who can put those skills to use throughout an entire season rather than just through stretches. Scott, quickly, there are a lot of names that I still want to get to here. Uh, Kyle Schwarber, yay or nay? What do you think? 142 ADP. I think he's okay. I think it'll be difficult for him to outperform that ADP. Uh, but if you need power at that stage, like I said, it get it it gets less... It gets less... Uh, you're drafting it with less confidence after this point. Schwarber... You know, he looks like a guy who can legitimately handle lefties now and um, is going to play every day, especially with DH. So I think the power you can trust would, will be there. Lourdes Gurriel, I know that you have mentioned this a lot, Chris. Uh, he's played in 149 career games. He's got a 279 batting average, 31 homers, 82 runs, 85 RBI, and 7 steals. That's a pretty good player. He's projected to bet third behind Bo Bichette and Kevin Biggio, just ahead of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Uh, I think he takes a bit of a hit in a points league just because he does not walk sure. very much. Yeah, well, I don't know what people want uh, Loris Gurriel to have done. I, like he was not a guy who came with a lot of uh, a lot of hype. He was sort of viewed as the 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 other Gurriel. Um, but all he's done since getting to the majors is hit really, really well. And so, you know, yes, the minor league production doesn't necessarily back that up, although he was better once he got to AAA and the playing time was super inconsistent. But I just think, like, we've got a full season here of him playing at a level that would probably justify, you know, a seventh or eighth round pick, and he's available Mm -hmm. in the 12th. Those numbers sound a lot like Eddie Rosario to me. I I do worry because, like, it's funny, like he, he, the Gurriels both did this thing last year where they had this very small stretch where they just went crazy. Their numbers were insane. And then, you know, for the majority of the time they were contributing, their numbers were pretty, you know, pretty wimpy. So um, 
it was I think it was like June for Gurriel last year, basically the time he returned from the minors. He caught fire for like a, a four to six week stretch and then, you know, really trailed off toward the end of the season. So especially when you look at the minor league track record, you, I question how legitimate it was. But like we're in a range now where there's not a lot of downside to missing with these picks. Yeah. So I think it's I think it's fine if you're looking for power to uh, to target Gurriel here. Rounds 14 and 15, Kyle Tucker going off the board at pick 167, Hunter Dozier, one pick later, 168, J.D. Davis, 171, Willie Calhoun, 174, Byron Buxton, 178, Malik Smith, 179, and Scott Kingery, also 179. The golden question, Scott, Kyle Tucker, out of 60 games, how many do you think he starts? Yeah, that is a big question because, like, there's you can't count on him, his talent winning out over time, and you still getting a big contribution. The season's going to be over so quick. I'll say 40. He starts two thirds of the games. That's still pretty optimistic, I think. And would that Uh, be worth this price tag? Yeah, definitely. I, I almost highlighted Tucker as my breakout instead of Nick Castellanos. What, you know, what, what made me think, second guess it was the shortened season but like reddick josh reddick the last two years he's been like a one war player he's not he's not doing much for the astros anymore and kyle tucker you know he finally got a chance to contribute a fair amount last september and uh did everything we wanted to see him do i mean he had in 22 games four home runs and five steals was five for five in stolen bases so even you know, I, I, I talk about with Luis Robert, middle of the order hitters, you're not sure how much they're going to run. Like Tucker showed us, he plans to run a lot. And I think he'll, like Dusty Baker would be even more willing to let him do that than, uh, than A.J. Hinch would have been. So, I, you know, 30-30 season in AAA last year, 2020 with a, like a 320 batting average the year before. Like this is a guy, former fifth overall pick. He's been a top 10 prospect the last couple years and like it's it's his time to take over for Josh Reddick who's in the last year of his contract and like I said hasn't been doing much so I think it'll happen sooner than later but will it happen soon enough for you to get the full benefit of drafting Tucker here I'm not sure not much downside though to doing it Chris Kyle Tucker goes off the board at 167 11 picks later you want to talk about upside we've been chasing it for a long long time Byron Buxton Looks like he was on the way last year to finally breaking out. 262 batting average, 827 OPS, cut down the strikeouts, career low, 23% strikeout rate, uh, was basically on pace for a 20 homer, 25-ish steal season, raised the launch angle. Is this the year? I mean, does it happen for Byron Bucks and Chris? I feel I could just insert this into next year's outfield preview, and it's the same question. Yeah, like maybe. (laughs) <laughs> you know, the skills have ever been in doubt. He's one of the toolsiest players in baseball. And we've seen these little stretches throughout the, the course of his career where he's put it all together and, and looked like a potential superstar. And, and he, you know, he benefits from being the kind of player who, even if he's not hitting all that well, should be in the lineup because he's, you know, arguably the def- the best defensive outfielder in baseball. He's certainly in the discussion. Um, look, there's, there's tons of upside. You know, he, he might be the fastest player in baseball. He is, you know, either one or two in, in sprint average sprint speed. And so it's the kind of thing where, you know, if he hits 270 and he stays healthy, it could be a 35 steel season or a 35 steel pace, which would be 10 to 15 in this shortened season. That would be really valuable at this and, price. And hitting 270 doesn't seem like the stretch it used to because, you know, he played only half a season, Buxton, because yeah. another injury, but he drastically reduced. The strikeout rate. Yep. He drastically reduced the ground ball rate. He did. He did the two biggest things probably a, a hitter can do to help himself in an environment like today, where the ball carries like it does, and uh, the numbers it it showed in the numbers. Yeah, he started swinging on at more pitches out inside of the zone, fewer pitches outside of the zone. So the plate the plate recognition did seem to take a bit of a step forward. The overall swing rate was actually steady, which you love to see. Uh, when it comes with more swings on pitches in the zone. And so, you know, there is a, there is at least a chance that he's a, I'm trying to think of a good comp, but you know, maybe a Tommy fam, 
but you know, maybe even more stolen bases. Yeah. The rest of the players on this list we either spoke about earlier today, Willie Calhoun, J.D. Davis on the third base preview, Scott Kingery on the third base preview. So you can go back to listen to those. Uh, but there's a lot of outfielders still left. So I want to do a bit of a rapid fire here. 30 seconds max on each of these. Yes, no, meh. That's how you're answering this. Whether or not you want to draft one of these players or not, your answer, yes, no, meh. And give us a few reasons why. Lorenzo Kane in round 16. Scott, you're on the clock. Yes, he bats high in a great lineup and is a good source of batting average of stolen bases. Theoretically, he only goes this late because he disappointed in both areas last year, but I don't think the profile actually changed, and uh, I think he'll bounce back. Chris, Yasiel Puig, what do we do with Yasiel Puig? <laughs> Round 16, we've gotten a few questions on him. Yes, no, meh. What do you do? It's stupid that Yasiel Puig hasn't signed yet. It's stupid that there are teams with holes at batting at, at designated hitter and outfield that haven't signed him yet. Uh, he's a better player than this cost. Um, but yeah, I, I draft him there. 16th round, that's fine. Um, you may get nothing from it, but look, it's a 16th round pick. You're probably going to get nothing from it anyway. Scott, Justin Upton, round 17. Dealt with a lot of injuries last year, getting up there in age, but projected to bat in the middle of the Angels lineup. Yes, no, meh. Yes. Now, I say that for both of these players, both him and Kane, recognizing Mark Canna is still theoretically on the board, and I take him over any of them. So let me just <laughs> put that out there. But uh, Justin Upton was was hurt for much of last year. Toe injury. I think he had a knee injury, too. Yep. And so it explains the big drop in production. Very reliable from year to year before that, though, and somebody who I think could give you a 30, 35 homer pace and possibly be driving in you know, be hitting right behind like Otani, Rendon, and, and Trout, which would be incredible, make for incredible RBI opportunity for him. Chris, Adam Eaton, you mentioned the name already today, round 18. You drafting? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, I think the the fact that he's going as late as he is, it, it doesn't actually make any sense. Like, I, you can say, well, the injury track record, but really it was one injury. Like, he tore his ACL at the start of the 2017 season. Maybe it was 2016. Whenever he tore his ACL, it basically cost him all of it was 2017. Cost him all of that season. He was on an unbelievable start that year, by the way. He was on pace for like 170 runs scored uh, at the top of the Nationals lineup. Then 2018, he's coming back for that injury, has a couple of related things. 2019, plays the full season, scores 100 runs, 15 stolen bases, 15 home runs, good batting average. Like he's, uh, you know, I think a legitimate four category contributor uh, at a time when guys like that are usually pushed up the board. He's overlooked for, I think, bad reasons. Scott, Alex Verdugo in round 19. Yes, no, meh. Yes, at the very least as a batting average specialist. And I think he'll be a points league specialist too because he hardly strikes out. Like he's, it's going to be easy batting average for him. He just has the right profile for it. And there's a chance he ends up being a decent power hitter. There's a chance he moves up in the Red Sox lineup and becomes a big run scorer uh, or, or an RBI guy, depending where he hits. I think he'll be, uh, I think he'll surprise some people this year. Chris, a Frank fave, mostly because he's old and I love players like that. Shinsu Chu in round 19. Drafting? Good in both formats. Yeah. Uh, not someone that you ever would be excited about. And the problem is, you know, he might be a little more well suited for a points league where you only start three outfielders. So that's tough. But, Shinsuchu just stays productive every single season. Hits the ball hard still. Uh, has a great eye at the plate. Still a very nice fallback option who will give you stolen bases and power. Scott, Avi Garcia, Avisael Garcia, now with the Milwaukee Brewers. Universal DH should help him out a little bit. What do you think? Yeah. No, this is one of my favorite sleepers. Uh, after Nick Castellanos... I think this is the biggest park upgrade for, for a hitter, at least in the, the range that we talk about drafting in fantasy. You do a park overlay of him in Tampa Bay, moving to Milwaukee, similar thing. You see like a dozen home run increase for obviously Garcia. I don't, I don't think he's going to hit actually hit a dozen more home runs than last year, but I do think he's going to set a career high and uh, you know maybe have more like a 30 homer pace than a 20 homer pace. Um, well, always, you know, he's always been a pretty good source of batting average so i think uh, and maybe even a handful of steals i think 
I think there's a, a chance that he blows away everybody's expectations for a player you could draft at this point. Chris, we talk a lot about these blind faith prospect pedigree picks, and Nick Senzel, I believe, is one of those in round 20. You don't have to spend nearly the same type of price on him as you do someone like Vlad or Eloy Jimenez. What do you think about Senzel? And he doesn't have nearly the upside uh, that Vlad or Senzel or, uh, or Eloy Jimenez does, but... You know, one comp that I like is comparing him to Scott Kingery, who, you know, is going about 40 to to 50 picks uh, ahead of Senzel. And, you know, I think even in a pessimistic outcome, you could see Nick Senzel being a better version of Scott Kingery. So, look, I mean, when we're talking about 20th rounders, like who's going to be the curmudgeon who says, no, you should not draft that player when they're basically free. (laughs) Uh, But, yeah, like Nick Senzel's a fine late round Flyer, he's not at the top of my list, though. Scott, another oldie but a goodie. Andrew McCutcheon in round 20. What do you think? Oh, you're skipping around here a little bit. I like it. Uh, I'm not as high on him as other people are. I think in points leagues, he's maybe a great value there. I mean, you look at what he did in that format on a per-game basis. He's become so like plate-discipline-focused at this stage of his career. And, you know, batting leadoff for the Phillies, that's going to help his run production for sure. But I don't think there's going to be a lot of power, speed, or batting average. I, he strikes me more as a points league specialist. Chris, Nixon Zell's teammate, Shogo Akiyama, comes over here to the United States now with the Reds. Draft him at all? Uh, he's expected to hit leadoff when he's in the lineup, and the key there is when he's in the lineup. He's going to have to... I think force his way into an everyday job because right now I think he's probably just the strong side of a platoon. Uh, and Nick Senzel, you know, I think we heard in recent days is expected to be like kind of the full-time center fielder. And so uh, I think Akiyama, like he's fine. He's not a priority for me there. Scott, I'm going to give you two at a time here. Still 30 seconds or less. Dylan Carlson and Ian Happ go, both going in round 24 and 25. Ah, both very... Trendy players in fantasy baseball. Hap really cut down on the strikeouts when he got called up last year, which is, you know, that was what really killed him before. He just struck out like Joey Gallo and didn't have quite that much power, but he does have pretty good power. He probably has 30 homer type power in the DH spot. Assures him playing time. So good sleeper there. Carlson, still not sure he's going to make the Cardinals uh, on opening day or, or really at all, but I do think he has five category potential. Anytime you're talking about a prospect that, highly ranked um you know the upside is worth the risk when the cost is nothing so yeah i could get excited about drafting carlson too chris you round us out here will myers round 25 austin riley round 28 what do you do with those two draft them both uh especially if you're in a roto league uh in both cases i think they're better roto players will myers again another guy who could give you what people are hoping Scott Kingery gives you, but at a much decreased price. Um, and Austin Riley, like 20th round is just, it's, it doesn't make sense. He's going to be on the, he's going to be on the opening day lineup. He's going to be in there, you know, pretty much every day, as long as he can hack it. And remember how excited we were when he got called up. And then when he lit the world on fire for the first <laughs> month of his career, you know, he yep. predictably came back to earth and, you know, was really struggled with contact, but that actually, that was less of an issue in the minors than it was in the majors last season. If he can improve his contact rate, uh, he's a steal in it with the 20th round pick. And even since April 1st, when it seemed obvious that we were going to have a DH in major league baseball, when the season resumed his ADP at NFC is 290. It hasn't gone up. Can, can Can I throw out the name of a couple other players? I draft a lot. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I want to throw out, Yastrzemski, Mike Yastrzemski, who I think will play a lot more from the Giants for the Giants, and I think was underrated last year for the amount he played. And also Sam Hilliard, who might platoon for the Rockies, but power speed combo for a guy who will be playing half his games at Coors Field. Gotta like that. Yeah, I'll throw two more names out there as well. Gregory Polanco, the ghost of Gregory Polanco with the Pirates. He's had a few big seasons. Hopefully he can bounce back healthy. Uh, And then Austin Hayes, who should play every single day for the Baltimore Orioles, should lead off for them, uh, and had a very big September uh, former 
top-ish prospect for the Baltimore Orioles. Again, that is Austin Hayes. Chris, anyone you want to quickly mention here? Giannis Cespedes is uh, playing defense and running the bases. You know, Not necessarily a guarantee he'll be ready for opening day, but uh, there have been good reports out of Mets summer camp for him. Brandon Nimmo uh, has spent a little time at first base, so they're trying to figure out ways to get him into the lineup. Remember how good he was in 2018, especially for points leagues. Uh, and let's not forget Jesse Winker. Really, really disappointing 2019 season, but he was coming off shoulder surgery. That could be an explanation. Still has, you know, I think great potential to be uh, a batting average source and a points league uh, stud. Alrighty, outfield is in the books. The next two days are going to be our starting pitcher previews. Should get interesting here, part one and part two for the next two days. And then we will have your questions on our mailbag this Friday. For Scott and Chris, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching on the Fantasy Baseball Today YouTube channel. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye.